Hey, y'all, I got a question for you. What's a piece of gear that you maybe have unintentionally overlooked in your rig throughout the years? Well, for me, it's always been guitar cables. I figured ah, it just goes from the guitar to the amplifier or the guitar to the pedal board to the amp. And if one breaks, whatever, I'll just go buy another one. No big deal. Thanks to the fine folks at Runway Audio, though, I have finally seen the light. Runway Audio is based in Nashville, Tennessee, which is awesome for me because that's right down the road. But it's awesome for you as well because Runway has the best cable on the market. And what makes it the best, you ask? Well, it has the lowest capacitance of any cable on the market right now at 20 picofarads per foot. And pretty much all that capacitance is is the ability to store an electrical charge. The lower the capacitance is, the less tone that it sucks from your cable from your guitar on the way to your amplifier. So if you're in the market for anything cable-related, whether it's instrument cables, patch cables, XLR cables, speaker cables, power cables, you name it, Runway Audio has got you covered. And if you go down to my link tree, click the link for Runway Audio. Any purchasing you will do, I will get a little bit of a kickback from that, which is always appreciated. So check out all the awesome stuff that Runway Audio is doing and pick something up to get the best tone possible. This episode today is brought to you by Stringjoy Guitar Strings, the finest strings on the market. For me, it has been the Orbiters that have been my absolute go-to ever since they've come out, and that's their coated electric strings. But if the coated thing's not your thing, totally get it. The signatures in the Broadways in their electric line, top-notch quality. For acoustic guitars, they have their Naturals and their Brights, along with the Foxwoods, which are their coated Phosphor Bonds. For all you bassists out there, too, they have the Signatures and the Rangers. Full disclosure, the link down below is my affiliate link, so if you would like to check out Stringjoy, click that link down below. Not only will you be getting the finest guitar strings on the market, but you'll also be helping out this podcast, which I greatly appreciate. So head on over to Stringjoy today. I'm not even close to the tip of the iceberg of all the awesome things that Stringjoy does, so click the link down below and check them out for yourself. Welcome back to Man the Helm Podcast. It has been a hot minute, you guys. Uh, just getting guests has kind of been kind of hard to do here lately, but I have a new co-host, and we will introduce him here shortly. Uh, but as per usual, if you guys want to check me out, check me out on any social media platform just by searching Man the Helm. You can check me out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, pretty much anywhere you search Man the Helm, you're going to find me. Uh, down below will be a link to my link tree, everything you need to know right down there, including affiliate links for Runway Audio, Stringjoy, etc. So let's get into today's episode where we introduce the new co-host of the Man the Helm podcast. Welcome back to Man the Helm Podcast. It's been a hot minute since we've had anybody. It's been a hard time getting some guests, but now I'm going to go with a co-host. I'd like to introduce you to Michael Sims. How's it going, dude? Going well. Going well. Enjoying. Well, you know, we're um, in this sort of 
podcasting world where everybody's putting out a podcast. So let's do the typical thing and let's figure out who you are and what you do and what you've done in music and why you should be a co-host on this show, I guess. I probably shouldn't. <laughs> well, but, that's fair. So, Michael Sims, born in uh, Humble, Tux- Humble, Texas. Lived in Pensacola most of my life, which is just like Clarksville, pretty much just a military town, like five military bases within one place. But probably like most other people, uh, mom really turned me on to music when I was super young. (laughs) Embarrassingly enough, still has photos of me. Strumming my fake guitar to Alan Jackson. Oh, yeah. Singing Gone Country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, nah, I just really fell in love with music. Really fell in... Originally, bass player all the way through. Sister wanted to be a guitar player, so I had to be the rebel. Oh, yeah. Had to pick bass. Uh, needless to say, she did not go very far with it. Uh, but playing bass, is enjoying it. Really wanted to do kind of rock metal thing. That was the only thing that seemed, the only gig that seemed in town. And then probably about a middle school, I want to say, met a man called uh, Biscuit Miller. Hey. Yeah, Biscuit Miller in the mix. <laughs> yeah, great name. But phenomenal bass player. Absolutely was doing things i never seen before. Never thought that a bass could do that and spoke with him for i don't know he was there for three days and i think we went all three days to go see him play nice and he was talking about how you know there's a lot of great guitar players out there in the world but there's not a lot of great bass players and he was like in the ones that you typically hear of that are the greatest jocko pastorius victor wooden you know yeah and he was like as much as these great bass players are considered greats and everyone knows about them and everyone wants to be them he was like go to guitar center and see how many people are playing anything by victor wooden or jocko pest exactly and he was like he was like no what you're gonna hear is let's follow what the guitar's doing let's do what the guitar's doing and he was like and that he was like, there's so much more that you can do musically, not just with guitar playing or bass playing or dr- playing drums. He was like, the more that you experiment and the more that you learn, that's the most important thing. You want to keep learning and you want to keep pushing your limits because that's how you become one of those great players. Mm-hmm. Well, joined band, just like all nerdy kids do. Played tuba. Hell yeah. <laughs> Dude, I played trumpet, man, so I was right there with you. I played tuba because the band director was like, you know, that that was really good what you did on clarinet, but here's a tuba. Why don't you try that one first? <laughs> here's the biggest instrument we could possibly give you. And I was like, wow, all the music's really, really easy. Or so I thought. Uh, high school marching band. With a tuba? Oh, yeah. Dude, that's rough. Good old sousaphone. Nothing compared. Did DCI, uh, March Contra for Spirit of Atlanta. But whenever I got to high school, I met two really great guitar players. I met 
another great guitar player. And now he's my stepbrother. So hey, that's a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but met these two guitar players, uh, Sean Mocasian and Nick Gray. And never even knew Nick played guitar. He uh, was the drummer, always was the drummer. And then he put out a video called The Real Me. And in that video, he's singing, playing guitar, playing bass, and drums, and video edited to look like they're all playing together. Hell yeah. And Sean was a massive blues fan, and I was a blues fan as well. Love Steve Ray Vaughan. Listen to Steve Ray Vaughan, and to this day, still want to play like him, but... Mm-hmm. That ship sailed. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> well, you know, w- once I find my Dumble amp for under, you know, $300, I'll, oh, I'll, I'll get back yeah. to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, they kind of took me under their wing. Not like they had a choice because I was following them around anyways, like a, they, yeah. like a lost puppy. Mm-hmm. And kept going kept meeting with biscuit every time he would come down he was living in he lives in indy uh and he would come down to pensacola all the time at least once or twice a year and he was like you know whenever you get done with high school you should come play with me and i was absolutely floored because i was like i'm terrible so right. <laughs> isn't that such a good feeling when somebody you like absolutely love and respect is just like dude yeah come come play a show with me or come come just jam and uh, I think it was like senior year. I was still playing in marching band, concert band, doing all county, doing jazz band, doing indoor percussion. Always either on a guitar or bass. And it's my senior year and the summer uh, just before band camp started, my parents took me on a trip through the Delta Blues. Okay, yeah. Which was a trip that they made up. It's not like a a plug for anything. No, yeah. They, I'm, they I'm... made a determination. So we started in New Orleans, went all the way up through Mississippi, went to Jackson, went to the Crossroads, went to Memphis, where originally that's where one of the Gibson factories was yeah, at, yeah, yeah. for a given time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just absolutely blew me away. And I was, I was, I was like, that's it. Becoming a blues player. And well, I would think that would do it. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of history. It know? was a ton of history. Going to the B.B. King Museum before yeah. uh, it lost funding. And it's like, it's such a shame because, like, there's a lot of great blues history, R&B history, Motown, even, like, rock and country. Like, all these music, all these styles of music take something from each other. Yeah. But everything always goes back to blues and or like bebop or, yeah, you yeah. know, that that 1930s, 1920s style. Really, when the Spanish guitar was actually starting to take off and mm-hmm. started to be more prevalent. And so did that trip, was absolutely blown away, loved it. And that winter still going through all the music seasons. I was in every single performing ensemble plus did chamber musician for the Sanger theater. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, 
Point. You, were, you were working your ass off then is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, I was – all I remember my senior year of was graduating and playing in a lot of different bands. Right. <laughs> I was even in the uh, – my band director got married, and so we did a uh, quintet for his okay. – <laughs> for him getting yeah. married. <laughs> uh, but it was wintertime, and – Biscuit called me up and was like, hey, you know, you know, we're still good for the road. And I was like, well, I'm planning on doing drum corps. It was still like an off and on, off and on thing. Okay. Because, you know, March and drum corps was, was at that time was like two, 2,200, I think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, quite, quite a chunk of change, especially considering that my mom was paying for my gas to go to all these different gigs. Right. Yeah. It was not getting easier. And he was like, I want you to meet a friend. You know, I've known him for a long time. I love to play with him. You should come meet him. He's going to be at the singer. He's going to be at the singer. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, like a little bit bigger gig than what Biscuit was normally kind of doing. Happens from time to time, though. And didn't tell me anything about him. So I show up. And I look at the marquee. I'm like, Joe. Joe. Joe Bonamassa. I was like, I think I know who that is. Right. And he's like, yeah, he's like, he's, he's going to go on in like two hours. But he said, you know, like, come on back. And of course they meet each other and they're like lifelong friends. Yeah. I'm completely floored <laughs> because I recognize who this is. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain thing about talking to major stars in the industry mm-hmm. and regardless of if you think that you know a band like papa roach or a band like you know like or a single artist like taylor swift it doesn't matter whether you're talking to someone that maybe had one hit or two hits or someone that cranks them out like they're going out of style mm-hmm you're still going to be floored either way. Yeah. Because this is someone that has definitely made a presence. Yeah. They, you know, out of 500 bands at least that do exactly what they do, they found the winning formula. Yeah. And being a part or getting to talk to someone, especially the more that I've listened and the more that I've, emulated i was like shoot i was like i can name off three or four solo licks that i steal every single time that i start up a blue solo that are joe bonamassa immediately there's no it's not even a question and just talking with them and super down to earth i was like i was like i kind of feel bad because at the time i was like he kind of looks like voldemort if he had a nose (laughs) 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 and i was like Looking back on it, I was like, God, I'm so glad I did not say anything. I was... <laughs> yeah, we didn't let those intrusive thoughts out, <laughs> Yeah, those intrusive thoughts could gladly stay stay where they were. And continue... After that, just was absolutely blown away, was trying to learn everything that he could play, and I quickly learned that, n- n- no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's an alternate picking here, and you are not a part of this ride yet. Yeah. And... uh Anyways, finished DCI, went off to college, ended up linking up back with Biscuit, playing with him, and I met two other guitar players that he had at the time 
after I had played with them, which playing with them was fascinating, but being the lowest man on the totem pole yeah. in a traveling band where there's an established, there's Biscuit and Doc, the bass player and the drummer, and it's like 90% theirs. Yeah, And yeah, it's yeah. like not even a percent point yours. You just don't want to step on anybody's toes. Well, not only that, but your paycheck revolves around. Well, sure, too. sure. Yeah. I was like, I was like, play a gig, and it's like, woohoo! I made fifty bucks, and then play the next gig, and it's like, I made seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was, I was uh, equipment security for ninety percent of my time because mm-hmm. uh, I lived in the van because <laughs> I couldn't afford to stay in a hotel like they did, but. Met two awesome guitar players, uh, Tyler and Paxton, which Paxton is a hilarious name because uh, his story is his dad named him after his favorite male porn star. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I was like, not exactly what you need to tell your daughter. I'm just saying. Yeah, you could have kept that one yourself. <laughs> but, and, you know, you'll you'll see... And this always drives me crazy. You'll see guitar players, and you're like, I could play that. I could do that. And it's like, yeah, but they're not even showing you a percentage point of what they can actually do most of the time. Yeah, I think most of that comes down to people that are at that level. When they're playing certain gigs, they're playing to support the song. They're not playing to show off what they do. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people are starting to realize that that is what's most important. I think that we're starting to get out of everyone wants to be Yingwei mm-hmm. and more people want to be a part of a band that is maybe doing more complicated things. I was like, I enjoy everything from rap to country to rock and so on. And I was like, one of my favorite bands right now is sleep token mm-hmm. and it's mostly eight string chugs and effects over the top. Yeah. I was like, it's nothing groundbreaking, but the way that they're making their entire sound and their music is more fascinating to me now, more, more so now than just what they can play. Yeah. I was like, I'll always love a Satriani of Steve Vai, Paul Gilbert. I was like, it, you can go on an entire tangent of probably a hundred guitar players that Rolling Stone doesn't bother to put on their top 100 guitar players. Oh, that doesn't mean anything anyway. Yeah. I was like, I was like pretty soon they're going to be putting like Iggy pop back and like the greatest rockers of the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that might be the case for some people, but yeah. other people are not going to feel that way no. whatsoever. No, I was like the most fascinating thing I saw him do was be drunkenly, or be drunk and berate a reporter and then try to beat him up. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's what—that's kind of what his stick was, right? It was a, a shock rock sort of stuff, yeah. right? Or shock punk or whatever they wanted to call that genre, you know? And I just always thought it was funny. I don't mean to go off on an Iggy Pop tangent, but he was, you know, hanging out with, like, Lou Reed and David Bowie, like, completely opposite of, like, music. Well, not opposite. I guess he was just on, like, the extreme side of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's it's fine to be that. I was like, even when Hendrix was at the height of Hendrix, he was always considered 
the weirdo out of the bunch. Sure. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, I I was like, and as fascinating as it would be to see what Hendrix could have come up with had he not passed away. I also think that more of the mystique around his playing and his songs and his songwriting abilities came from the fact that he only made this much. I, mm-hmm. I, I equate it to the same with Steve Ray Vaughn. Steve Ray Vaughn only made so much. Yeah. And so there's only so much to enjoy. And that kind of leads into the mystique yeah. of a certain musician or a certain player. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like you, you could equate that to like the opposite of that to like the Rolling Stones. Like they're still around and they, I mean, they're not writing music like they used to, but, right. but there's still the possibility of them putting out more music. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? mean, and you know, for as many as, for as many songs are, that end up making an album, there's probably double that at least yeah that are sitting in yeah. some bank somewhere yeah well that's that's probably like the the thing with the 27 club because you know those people that are on the 27 club like i don't attribute most of them to like groundbreaking amazing musicians i think it's just because of that like you said that mystique of what they could have done outside of that well some some of them were fantastic musicians but i think that there's a bit more weight given to their name yeah because they passed away so young sure and i was like you know i was like there's no 80 club right right there's no (laughs) there's no you know there there, there's no over 50 club i was like because then you would literally have every an entire list yeah it'd be upon list yeah it'd be pages and pages i was like and you know i was like there's some musicians that i look at and I understand that they want to do what they want to do artistically, but also feel like even as, as many people that hate like Avenged Sevenfold, I was like, Avenged Sevenfold continues to change their sound because they want to change their sound. There's nothing wrong with changing your sound. Eventually the well that you started is going to run dry. You got to dig more wells. Well, so the thing that I, the thing that I've talked to people about, like the biggest thing that I've seen when people like love a band they love their first album that the band puts out right and then that sophomore album comes out and then everybody like that that's always the album that sucks for some reason you know what i mean like that most people are like so you know what i think it is is those guys and girls that were in those bands in that first album you know they came up through the trenches playing song after song after song seeing what songs were hitting in these small venues and then when they finally make it big and get to you know record a major record, they're putting the best ten songs over the last ten years yeah. on that record. Well, the next record comes around, it's like, well, hey, you guys, you got to recreate what you guys just did. Well, how could you do that in six months? Yeah, and I I also think that's that's a big problem is, and I think that's why you're seeing more. It's not even grassroots anymore. You're seeing more people make their they're they're they are the studio that makes their album yeah they don't go Mm -hmm. through what people used to go through and as good as that is even someone like uh i remember watching an interview with victor wooden and he said that you know as far as whenever i was growing or for him from his perspective when he was growing up that when a certain band showed up that it was a big deal because there was no other medium to hear them, to see yeah. them. Yeah. 
he was like, you know, you'd have to travel three towns over or you'd have to go to the big city to even see these people. And he's like, well, now you have YouTube and Spotify and a million other different clones of it. Yep. You have people that download music and just save it on YouTube Mm -hmm. or any other mean. I was like, you know, I was like, there's not that I'm up to date on it, but there's probably something like LimeWire where people are still making bootleg CDs. Yep. Yep. I was like, and so as far as being a part of the process uh, and working with smaller bands and seeing how Spotify really works makes me never really want to put music on there because unless you hit a certain amount of people that have clicked on your song and listened to it or listens to you as a artist, you don't make any money off that. Yeah. So I'm going to play the devil's advocate here for a second though, because I've had, I had a conversation with the guy the other day about this. So you talk about like, um, you know, how, how does like, okay. So if you're an artist or you're, you're a, an individual or a band, how do you get people to like you? Well, no one's going to like you when you first start off. Right. Yeah. You know, no one's going to pay attention to you outside of your parents, outside of your parents and maybe a family member that absolutely is at every gig and just cheering you on and you're playing to the walls in them. But the only way to get people interested is to go through those playing for the walls and playing, putting stuff on social media that nobody clicks on. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of like the same thing as like albums where you have those like 10 songs that hit, but then you have another 20 that you didn't put on. You, you have to like nowadays you have to put those, those 20 songs out that suck. Well, it, it's interesting you say that because even though it's not, um, it's not music, but it's the same thing. Mr. Beast talked about it. He was like, once you make a hundred videos, then you'll really start seeing a little bit of traction. Mm -hmm. Once you make a thousand videos, then that traction, as long as you keep having small builds of subscribers and views and so on, that's when it really starts picking up. The only problem with that is that while that is true, for the majority, it's not necessarily true for the minority. And as far as music goes, there have been plenty of bands even now that take a more grassroots approach yeah. and be, and carve out their niche. Mm-hmm. I think it's the, um, I know I'm going to say their name wrong. It's an Irish folk band and it's, uh, it's like jump jump something i i i'd have to look at it to to make sure or no not jump punch brothers okay and they're like this irish folk band and they made one popular song and they threw that on i think it was on either on youtube or on spotify i don't remember where i first heard it but looking at everything else i was like given at the time that i looked at it they had like three other albums that they never even put on spotify yeah and when asked about it they were like yeah because we wanted people to listen to us on Spotify and then buy the rest of our albums. Sure. Yeah. yeah. He was like, he was, or at least buy the downloads. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, and I really wonder like, what's the overall percentage cost based on the amount of exposure you can get from 
a paid service or even the free service of Spotify or YouTube versus how much Apple Music's going to pay you for someone to pay two ninety nine for a song or yeah. pay the full price of an album. Yeah. And it's like, as far as like, whenever you go out and play bars or you play certain venues, majority of venues don't really care what you play. Just as long as you're a benefit to that bar or that establishment. And so when you go out, that's why you see so many different cover bands. I mean, just in this area, but... I've seen plenty of cover bands all over the place mm-hmm. and they're playing ACDC or they're playing Zeppelin or they're playing Metallica or I- any other big name band. And it's like, you know, a lot of these bands that they're playing music from still tour. And it's like, while it's cool to support someone that's trying to do it locally, I also find fault with it because if you're going to support a big band by listening to a small band, but if they ever play anything original, you completely tune out, turn your back to what they're playing. You could have been amazed for nine songs in, but that one song that wasn't a cover, you absolutely tune out for. And it's like, you have to have a little bit, you don't have to, but I wish that people had a little bit more appreciation for music that people are trying to create because the same people that they idolize had to go through those same steps. Yeah, I think what it is, though, man, um, a lot of people aren't musicians. True. And they it's it's all about their perspective right that individual perspective that they see. They like so for instance, if I go to a if I go to a bar, I'm expecting to most if they say live music, I'm expecting mostly covers. Right. You know, cuz that's what they're there. That they're, that band is there to render that service. They're not a lot of the bands especially in this area, um if you guys aren't familiar, it's Clarksville, Tennessee, are playing the the cover gigs just to make a couple hundred bucks, go play on a weekend and call it good. And I think that's one of the important things as, as individuals that are musicians is when you find out what you want to do, you actually like fully commit to it. You don't do this like halfway thing. Because I think that's where the, the trouble lies, like, like what you're saying, where you go play a cover gig and then you play an original song. It's like, well, the audience, yeah, I wish they would care too, but it's almost like, why would they? They're not there to listen to a original band they're there to listen to their their 80s nostalgia that they grew up on you know what i mean or their country nostalgia that you know they're alan jackson's and travis right. tritt's and stuff you know what i mean and it's like but if i'm <clears throat> if i'm playing a if i'm playing a cover and you want to listen to that exact song you know not everyone is a karaoke machine sure not everyone yeah. can crank out 75 covers just because you told them, Hey, it, it's this song. It's in the key of G. Yeah. And I was like, most people don't even know what that is, let alone know what the chord progression is going to be just because you name off a song. I mean, yeah, I can pull, pull out every generic chord progression that's ever been created. Doesn't mean that's what it's going to be. And, you know, I've also seen, an evolution with how people are starting to write music, mm-hmm. especially country acts that have been popular acts for a long time now. Like Kenny, uh, Kenny Chesney immediately mm-hmm. comes to mind. 
Like he does one song with uh, Dave Matthews, "I'm Alive." Oh and yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. One of my, probably my favorite Kenny Chesney song. Mm-hmm. Dave Matthews. So right. Uh, but you know, if you're so stuck in a way that oh, unless they play Inner Sandman, I don't care. And it's like, yeah, but they're playing in the same style of music that you like. Mm-hmm. And if I was like. I was like, imagine that. Imagine if you grew up eating chicken tenders and mac and cheese, and you, to this day, being 50 or 60, still eat chicken tenders and mac and cheese only. I know some people like that. Yeah. Well. They're kind of weird. Yeah. (laughs) Just. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you can't just decide that this is the only thing I like. And because if you're so afraid to listen to anything else or to listen to someone else's perspective you're not really gonna grow with anything especially musicians that are like i only play country and i only listen to country and it's like that's cool but there's a little bit of country and rock there's a little bit of country and blues there's a little country and r&b i was like i was like everything shares hands yeah it's not just we're going to build a wall here and we're going to build a wall here. We're not, we're going to build a wall here. It's, it's never been that. Well, I think, I think that's part of the problem with a lot of less experienced musicians. Cause I've been in that boat before too, you know, where it's just like, I this... think everyone flirts with that boat. Sure. But it's the people that, that don't jump ship from that and don't become a music lover, like a lover of all music, not, not just, and I'm not saying you have to like deep dive into the most obscure, niche thing, right? I'm just saying that, you know, once you get to a certain point, you, you realize that everything, like you were saying, is just so interconnected. Everything pulls and pushes from every other genre, you know, in some way, shape, or form. And you can appreciate the writing aspect of it. You can appreciate the rhythm aspect of it, the melodies of it, the, you know, even the, even the solos of it for if there's guitar parts in it, you know what I mean? You can appreciate all those aspects because at that point you're loving the music that it's being, that it's inspiring you. And you can now take that into your own writing that you're going to, you know, start to do. It's always important for me, man. Whenever I get stuck in a rut, the first thing I do is listen to something I'm not comfortable playing. You know, I am not good at blues. I am not good at jazz. The second I'm in a rut, though, guess what I'm going to go do? I'm going to go try to find something, some weird something or other that I can, whether it be a rhythmic thing with the right hand or lead lines that I'm just not comfortable playing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I start playing some rock stuff again and I'm like, oh, you know, it would sound really cool. This super obscure, like dissident line that I, you know, learned in some practice book out of nowhere you know what yeah, i mean let me let me pull out my broken third solo well, that's what i'm saying <laughs> you know what i mean like because you can utilize all those in different aspects of everything and it's really cool and it, it's 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 really liberating as a musician whenever you start to realize that that you you don't have to just be like yeah i'm the guy that you know metallica is the best band ever man it's like well i'm not saying they're not bad but the the best that's that's like the most general relative statement whenever i hear this is the best I'm pretty hesitant to believe that yeah. it's the best. I mean, Dunkin' Donuts tried to say they had the best coffee. So well, it's not bad. It's not bad, but it's not the best. No, no. <laughs> uh, you go down to Columbia and get some, you know, actual coffee well, beans. And... I don't think that's coffee at that point. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> Whatever's added. They used to have extra stuff in Coke, too, but, you know. 
I never decided to put coffee in my nose. I'm just saying. You never, you never got down and smelled the rind before. You know, you started taking a sip of your coffee or anything. <laughs> no. Come up with a little powder on your nose. No, man. But um, that's that's one of the most frustrating things that I'm I'm kind of encountering right now, dude. Is is um, especially at my level. Like I'm not any anything special. You know, I'm just a guy that plays guitar, hangs out, plays in bands, does a few cover gigs. You know, not with anybody super huge. And I like playing. But whenever you run into these these individuals at that level, I'm, I'm starting to realize there's a lot more in that that are still in that boat, right? Of this is what I do. This is the this is the genre that I play. I don't I don't deviate from this. And it's really frustrating because when you start to try to have like a conversation with them musically, they haven't taken the they they haven't taken what other instrument they have seriously enough to to be able to translate it across. Like you can't just go jam with these people. Right. You know what I mean? You 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 start like you start playing a groove, and that's always the most exciting th- to me was when I'm playing with some people and I have no idea where it's going to go. You know what I mean? Everybody's just kind of you know in the pocket with each other at first, and then it just starts to go off on little tangents. You know. Well, I think one of the biggest things that musicians as a whole are afraid to do and you can look up a video of your favorite artist doing so which is fail yeah you know hey it should have been i should have started the solo on c and i started on f sharp where do we fix where do we go from now i was like you know you'll see uh i was like one of the funniest fails i've seen is uh Steve Ray Vaughn playing, uh, I can't remember. I think it's uh, Life Without You. Yeah, it was Life Without You. It's like 1983 or something like that. And he proceeds to play the guitar with his teeth. Okay, you know, yeah, yeah. Pulling yeah. a Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Well, he's playing on 13-gauge strings. Yeah. So he like ripped a tooth out in the middle of the That'll performance. Do it. Yeah. And then you see him like... Lean over, look at one of his stage texts, and go. I think I lost a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, it, it, I've seen people fall off stage. I've seen people absolutely flub passages that they've probably practiced a million times, and it's like you know, being able to recover after something like that gracefully as well. Well, gracefully, or even just like a hard cut, and then yeah, you're, sure. and, and you're good. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, and I have friends that are like, you know, all I'm going to do, I'm just going to record. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to record music and release it. And there's a certain stigma about taking gigs and doing gigs mm-hmm. and focusing on the gigging side. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, but the gigging side is just as important as the recording side absolutely practice side because there are times that you're going to have a gig and it's going to go horribly horribly wrong oh yeah i was like i remember oh let's get into this i want to get bad gig stories i got some for you so this is actually when i was in indoor, indoor percussion so we're at another high school we're getting ready to go on and i have a cable or an extension cord running from my base amp so it can plug into the main box Mm because everything's pretty much powered off of one power source there 
because you have your PA speakers. We had a, a guitar amp and a bass amp. And they go to plug it in. Well, apparently when they plugged it in, they absolutely jammed it into the socket or stepped on it or something because it bent one of the prongs in. Yep. So I had no power. Mm -hmm. And I don't look back to look at my base amp because I've already set it up before. The power's still on. As soon as it's plugged in, it's good to go. So we start playing and I'm like, I don't hear anything at all. And I was like, I don't know if I'm if I'm off or what. And so we're playing uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra. Okay, which one? So, what are you uh, playing? I think it was. I think we started off is uh, Tchaikovsky's. Was it the fifth or whatever it was? Okay, okay I know okay. it was Tchaikovsky. Anyway, so we started with that, and then we moved into like Flight of the Bumblebee, and ended with Beethoven's Fifth. And so I'm playing hitting all these hard notes and, mm -hmm. and really jamming. Well, probably hard at the time. I have no idea now, but I like take a quick glance back. Cause you have to stay front to the judges. Sure. Yeah. And I take a look back and there's no light on. And I'm like, my bass amp is dead. Yep. So I just completely went into, I'm going to play all the same stuff I was going to play before, but I'm just going to sell it. And just hope the judges are like, maybe the bass amp was turned down. And just absolutely just probably best playing gig I ever had. <laughs> just with no volume. <laughs> and so we get off and I look at, I we get off stage or get off the, it's a gym floor. We get out and I pull the cable out and I look at it. And not only is the prong bent, it was taken off. It got jammed in so hard it just, just yeah yeeted out of life. Right, right. <laughs> and so I was I was pretty upset because I was like, you know, this is this is one of the our more major competitions. Yeah. And so we get back and finish unpacking everything, putting everything away, so on and so forth. And <laughs> we're listening to the judges' tapes, and one judge is like Man, that bass player is just absolutely killing it. It's just like, just the raw motion, just killing it. It'd be nice to hear him, though. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it would have. <laughs> it would have been great. Well, that's like 90% of the battle, right? Yeah, if you can sell a good show, right. you can have a good show. Yeah. If you are so reliant, not saying that don't show up and start playing twinkle twinkle little star or something crazy but even if you're not having the best playing gig if you're into it the crowd will be into it because if you sat up there and you played arpeggios from hell and just stood there like a statue doing it yeah it's impressive but it's not entertaining it's gonna get boring real it, quick it, it, and that's the that's the other part that it, whenever people are like oh i don't want to have gigs or I'm, i don't want to do gigs it's like yeah, but if you ever make it something and you have to go on the road because a lot of studios that will record your music, that's part of it, a big part of it. And But if you've never played in front of a live crowd of 30 people or 20 people or 50, 100, 150, what, you're going to go sell out Rock Am and... Playing in front of 25, 30,000 people. Dude. I was like, you will absolutely just 
you would absolutely lose not only your lunch, but everything trying to deal with that amount of pressure. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, man, like the, the, the biggest gigs that I think I've played have not been more than it's, it's been less than 200 people, but that 200 people in that venue was just like, holy shit. You know what I mean? You get on stage and you're like, you can't see the floor. And I mean, I know, I know it's not a big venue, but like just that, like, and, and that's why it's so important whenever you're gigging and playing with bands is that, you know, your parts so well that when you get up there and you see that and you're kind of freaking out, I don't care who you are. You're going to have some level of anxiety. Right. I still do. And I've played right. a ton of gigs. Yeah. But, but, but what's so awesome about it is, is once you start to like give to that crowd and they start giving it back and it just, it just is that give and take all night. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what is so awesome about gigging. I don't, I have no clue why people don't like gigging. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Is it annoying to have to park your car like a mile away from the venue and wheel your shit? Yes. It sucks. <coughs> Nashville. Right. Nashville for sure. <laughs> and on top of that, paying $60 for parking or whatever craziness they're doing now. Yeah. Is it annoying to get to, you know, a gig where they say they have a backline for you and it's some twin that's been sitting there for 30 years. And God knows how much beer is in the circuitry of that thing, you know, cigarette smoke or whatever, you know. Yes, but it, that's not the point. The point of it is to to play for that crowd, you know, play the best of your ability for that crowd. You have a great time doing it. We opened up one time when I was playing with the band here in Clarksville for uh, Trapped. It was horrible. We played great. There was a lot of people there, and it was awesome. But man, it's so crazy what one individual can just like kill the environment and the vibe of a thing. Like we walked in there and if this guy for some reason ever hears this, I'm prepared to get trash talked on the internet because apparently that's what he does. But I walk in there and they had what? One hit in like the early 2000s? Pretty much headstrong. Exactly. Headstrong and enough to fill out the album. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. Back in the day, sure, that was, you guys killed it, man. You guys were on top of the world. Yeah, the heights of skater rock. Listen, this is 2002. This is like 20 years later, okay? This guy has some lady that's like, just, I walk in and he's drinking this like fruity drink that they had provided for him and they had this huge platter out for him. And they they just, the whole time backstage, there's just this lady rubbing his arms and his shoulders, just massaging him the whole time. And he's just sitting there like flaunting his rock star shit and whatever. And I'm just like, dude, like more power to you. You're cooler than me, but you're not that cool. You know what I mean? Anyway, we get up on stage and we're playing and we're having a great time. We're playing direct support for them. And um, I brought a beer on stage with me. I put it right next to his direct box for his acoustic guitar that was on stage. I can see where this is going. I'm jumping around. I'm having a great time having the blast. And then I, for some reason, I don't know what it was. I went center stage to take a solo and I can't, and I was coming back to the left side of the stage and I looked down and my beer is just on top sideways, just beer everywhere all over this direct box. You want to talk about the amount of fear and anxiety in the middle of a song that I was just like, (laughs) Oh my God. I know how this guy is. 
He's kind of an asshole from what I've seen online. I don't know the guy personally. He could be a super nice guy. But from what I've seen, he's kind of a dick. I just spilt a beer on his direct box, and they're about to go play. And I know he's going to play some acoustic songs. You know what I mean? I picked up the beer kind of casually. Yep, just kind of <laughs> just kind of tilted it over real quick. Like, oh, okay, whatever. Thank God nothing happened. My wife was with me. Love her to death. She wanted to stay and watch the show. And I'm dreading. Dreading every second of it. They get on stage, and dude, he goes to grab that acoustic guitar. It worked. Somehow, I have no idea. Hey, I need to figure out what that direct box is because, dude, I need it. If yeah. I could spill a full freaking beer <laughs> on this direct box and it still operates just fine. So the real MVP of the night was that direct the box. The direct box saved the night, man. <laughs> it, it, was so, it was so much fun. But, yeah, dude, that's why it's so important to know your parts, man, because when something crazy happens, even if it's something just individually to you or your entire rig takes, you know, just goes down, you still have got to be able to perform. So, played a show at a place called The Handlebar. Okay. Pensacola. And I am not known for my vocals. Okay. Obviously. For I've never that, heard you sing. It, that's a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> the Army has, and they were like, yeah, why don't you just go ahead and take this one off? We're, we're, we're good. We're okay. You, you know the words. That's all that we wanted just, to know. Just, just lip sync. <laughs> yeah, just lip sync. And uh, so, I had one little vocal part and it's just literally yelling hey Mm -hmm. well they gave me a mic now this thing looks like probably from the 90s oh yeah has never been scrubbed out yep i was like it every hole had something and i don't even want to know i was like that thing i was like that microphone is a living organism yeah I was like, it has rights too, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyways, after I, you know, kind of wiped it down just a little bit because squirting hand sanitizer I, my, all my over. mouth has to be near it. Right. Well, I did the first set of Hey, Hey, Hey. Mm-hmm. You could barely hear me. It sounded like I was in a long hallway. Well, it was probably that like six inches of crust you had yeah. caked on the microphone. So I got closer. Well... The band that went on before us had a great old time, apparently pulled a Jake because they knocked beer all over the stage. Yeah. Uh, no direct boxes were hurt. I That's promise good. You. Uh, but anyways, so I go to do the second round of Hey, Hey, Hey. My lip came into contact with my mic and I got electrocuted so hard. I remember Hey and then on the floor. <laughs> I don't remember anything else in between that small amount of time. And my band, or they're still, my bandmates, God bless them. They're still playing. Hey, the show must go on. Yeah. We were playing uh, ska, you know. Oh yeah. Height of popularity in 2013. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were like, you good? Yeah. Yeah. I I think so. Still seizing up a little bit. (laughs) And they're like, all right. Uh, are you good? No. <laughs> <laughs> so after the bar owner called the EMTs, because obviously uh, you've just been electrocuted. I've just been electrocuted, which at the time I had super long hair. So I looked kind of like Miss Frizzle from Magic School Bus. Oh, nice. After it. Yeah. I was like, I went from 
I went from Fabio to Miss Frizzle in like <laughs> <laughs> 1.1 seconds. So, needless to say, was not a great time. Uh, and then the only other time after that was... Now, my bass amp that I had, I had a, still have the same cab, but I had a head. Uh, I think it was like Galen Kruger. Okay, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Bought yeah. it from Guitar Center in like 2005 yep. or whatever it was. Sounds like about right. Middle school. And parents got it for me and loved that bass amp. Nice little solid state. Did its job. That was the most important thing. Did its job and had it direct out. So oh, yeah, dude. All, all, that, all that we cared about. Well, we're playing a show. We are warming up. Like just after sound check, doing a little quick warm up, mm. just kind of running through a couple little things. Not a big venue; it's like 50, 60 people at most. Yeah, including the server staff. <laughs> so, inflated numbers. And I start playing, and hear cut. Okay, well that was weird. Maybe it's the cable. Jiggle the cable a little bit. Another cut. I was like, okay, well maybe the jack's going out, and. We start the first song, playing, 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 and a guy, like, maybe six, seven feet in front of me is like, hey, dude, your amp's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) And I turn around, and that poor little amp has flames shooting out the exhaust port of the the little fan. But the little fan is still trying to cool it down. Hey, it's doing its best, man. (laughs) I was like, I was, I just turn around. And, like, the fire goes out, and I unplug it, and I was like, well, that's the end of the gig, because I have no bass amp. And it's just me, it's a guitar player, me, and a drummer. Oh. I was like, this Hendrick experience ended really fast. Well, you know, you just burned the bass amp up instead of the guitar this time. Yeah. Turns out the bass amp was a lot less interesting and... A bit more hilarious after the fact. Right, right. That's hilarious that the fan was still trying to go. It was. It was just, just. I could see it. It's just going away, like trying, trying so hard to cool it down, while flames are shooting out now, of the top of it. Now it's I was just, like, I was like, this is the most metal thing that sucks so bad. Right. I mean, all it was doing was feeding oxygen at that point, dude. It's yeah. just like, here you go, just keep it going, dude. Nothing like an electrical fire. Yeah. I was like, I was like, my bass amp's currently screaming ACDC at as loud as it will go. Right. Or raining blood. <laughs> As you're playing a blues gig. Right? Yeah. 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 Blues-ish? Yeah, blues-ish. Well, I mean, I think that's, uh, besides the uh, introduction to you, I think that's the overarching theme of this is be prepared for craziness. And and the, the best way to be prepared for craziness is know your freaking parts. Well, not only know your parts, but be comfortable enough with yourself to realize that even you could practice 10 hours a day, seven days a week. You could practice the same parts. I don't care if it's Hey There, Delilah, Wonderwall, or it's For the Love of God. Mm-hmm. Regardless of easy or hard. And people underrate easy stuff because it is so easy to blow through certain sections. Sure. Just because they're easy and not... Take time because at the end of the day, I don't care what kind of lead guitarist you are, you still have a responsibility to the rhythm. Yeah. Unless hundred percent. Unless your name is on the marquee and it's just you doing you're you're just solo. 
you still have a responsibility to that rhythm section and realizing that the best lead guitar players typically have a phenomenal rhythm player. 100%. I was like, Guns N' Roses is like the easiest cop-out, but it's the most truth. Because when Slash was way too drunk to even start Sweet Child of Mine, the rhythm section had his back. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's I think that's like the, the baseline for most bands, right? So as long as the rhythm section's on point, like you could have the sloppiest guitar player on the planet and it, and it's going to sound okay because the rhythm section's responsibility is to try to make the lead sound as good as possible right right the rhythm the rhythm supports the melody and the harmony mm-hmm. it's not the melody that supports the rhythm because if that's the case you got some pretty lousy rhythm players <laughs> fact fact if your drummer and your bass player don't can't stay in time with each other there's an issue. A little bit. A little bit. But we'll go ahead and wrap this one up this week, man. So I appreciate you coming on and helping me out, man, because I've been kind of sucking for guests. And this is a lot more fun, actually, talking face-to-face with somebody opposed <laughs> to just being all like, hey, it's going to be me talking by myself today. You know what I mean? So well, It's always healthy for you to sit alone in your room and talk to yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't have enough mental issues as it is already. <laughs> so... But hey guys, appreciate it. No, it's been a while since I put out an episode, but uh, we're going to be more consistent now. It's going to be a good thing. It's a little bit of a change, but we'll check you guys next week on Man the Helm Podcast. Mm-hmm.